Good morning. Welcome to The Point, the radio ministry of Life Point Baptist Church of Early Texas. Life Point meets for Sunday school at 10 a.m., morning worship at 11 a.m., and we meet at the Early Chamber of Commerce Small Business Incubator Facility, which is located at 104 East Industrial Drive in Early. That's just off of Highway 377, next to where they're building the new townhome apartments. We'd love to meet you this morning and fellowship with you, but if we're not able to meet this morning, then maybe sometime in the near future. We have some online resources for you. You can follow us on our blog at point2life.wordpress.com point2life.wordpress.com. You can also follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash point2life. Today we're going to begin a new series. We're going to study through the book of Revelation. Now this is an interesting and exciting study, and it's one that shows us some things that are to come, but the main point of Revelation is to prepare us to meet our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And so we'll talk about that as we go through the book of Revelation over the next several weeks. We are going to look at what the Bible actually says about the end time and about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and the establishment of his kingdom on earth. It'll be a straightforward look at the scriptures. We're not going to try to tie into any current conspiracies. We're not going to try to identify characters in the Bible as present-day individuals. We are merely going to look at what God's Word says. That way we'll know what to look for and what to expect. But most of all, we'll be prepared to meet our Savior. Revelation chapter 1, verse 1. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him, to show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass. And he sent and signified it by his angel unto his servant John, who bear record of the word of God and of the testimony of Jesus Christ and of all things that he saw. Blessed is he that readeth and they that hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written therein, for the time is at hand. John to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace be unto you and peace from him which is and which was and which is to come and from the seven spirits which are before his throne and from Jesus Christ who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead and the prince of the kings of the earth unto him that loved us and washed us from our own sins in his own blood and hath made us kings and priests unto God and his father to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he cometh with clouds, and every eye shall see him, and they also which pierced him, and all kindreds of the earth shall well because of him. Even so, amen. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending, saith the Lord, which is, and which was, and which is to come, the Almighty. I, John, who also am your brother, and companion in tribulation, and in the kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ, was in the isle that is called Patmos, for the word of God, and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and heard behind me a great voice, as of a trumpet, saying, I am Alpha and Omega, the first and the last, and what thou seest, write in a book, and send it unto the seven churches which are in Asia unto Ephesus, and unto Smyrna, and unto Pergamos, and unto Thyatira, and unto Sardis, and unto Philadelphia, and unto Laodicea. And I turned to see the voice that spake with me, 
and being turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks. And in the midst of the seven candlesticks, one like unto the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the foot, and girt about the paps with a golden girdle. His head and his hairs were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were as a flame of fire, and his feet like unto fine brass, as if they burned in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. And he had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was as the sun shineth in his strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead, and he laid his right hand upon me, saying unto me, Fear not, I am the first and the last. I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And have the keys of hell and of death. Write the things which thou hast seen, and the things which are, and the things which shall be hereafter. The mystery of the seven stars which thou sawest in my right hand, and the seven golden candlesticks. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven candlesticks which thou sawest are the seven churches. Revelation chapter 1. Our message this morning is entitled, Revealing Christ. And it's fitting because that's the essence of verse 1. You see, we oftentimes refer to this book as Revelation. Some people call it Revelations. In some Bibles, you may read the title as the Revelation of St. John the Divine. But those aren't the actual names of the book. The name of the book is given in verse 1. The Revelation of Jesus Christ. You see, that's the name of the book of Revelation. The Revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, that's important. It's not Revelations. Revelations is not a series of revelations about the end times. It's one book about a process of revealing Jesus Christ. It's about the revelation, singular, of Jesus Christ to the world at the end time. The book is the revelation of Jesus Christ, not the revelation of St. John the Divine. Now, St. John, the Apostle John, was a great man, a great spiritual man, a spiritual giant, the disciple whom Jesus loved, but he was not divine. He had no divine nature. He was not God in flesh. He was indwelt with the Holy Spirit, as all believers are. He was in the Spirit on this Lord's Day, but that doesn't make you divine. Those of us who know Jesus Christ as our personal Savior have the Holy Spirit dwelling within us, and we can be in the Spirit from time to time. But that doesn't make us divine. St. John was not divine. And the revelation here is not of St. John. St. John is not the one being revealed. Christ is the one being revealed. The revelation is being made to John to share with the world. So the name of the book, again, given to us in verse 1, the revelation of Jesus Christ. And that's important because it's through that lens we are going to see the rest of the book, and it's with that backdrop that we interpret the rest of these scriptures. The book of Revelation shows us the glory of Christ in his plan to complete his vision and bring forth his kingdom on this earth. And in chapter 1, we are introduced to the resurrected and the glorified Jesus Christ. We are introduced to Jesus Christ as he exists now, resurrected, glorified, powerful, and in charge. We are reminded through Revelation chapter 1 of what Christ did, 
we are shown his glory and we see his vision of us. So let's look in Revelation chapter 1 and see the resurrected and the glorified Jesus Christ. And we'll begin by looking at what Christ did. In verse 5, the Bible says, And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead, and the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us and washed us from our own sins in his own blood. So we're looking at who Christ is. Verse 5 tells us that our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ is the faithful witness. Verse 5 says, from Jesus Christ who is the faithful witness. A witness is one who sees and testifies and speaks. The faithful witness. Jesus Christ is the faithful witness. He spoke God's word. And not only did he speak God's word, but he gave the meaning of the scriptures. And he preached salvation. And when Jesus Christ spoke God's word, he didn't merely quote it. He didn't quote a verse and say, this is what I think it means. He didn't quote a verse and say, this is what it could mean. When Jesus Christ quoted scripture, he quoted it as if he were the author of the scripture, because you know what? At the end of the day, he was the author of the scripture. The Bible tells us that all scripture is given by inspiration of God. That means God breathed it. God breathed the words. That means that the words that are in the Bible were actually given by God to be written down. And with Jesus Christ being God in flesh, he had that unique that unique power and that unique authority to tell you what the scriptures actually meant. You know, the movie, The Chronicles of Narnia, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe where the lion, he plays the part, the role, Chronicles of Narnia, is C.S. Lewis preaching the gospel to readers without the readers realizing they're having the gospel preached to them. The Chronicles of Narnia, they go into basic Bible theology, but they put it in a fictitious plane with talking animals and children going from one world to the next in order to familiarize you with the idea of the gospel, of the sacrifice that Christ made, of atonement, of resurrection. And the lion was kind of the, he was the Christ figure in the lion, the witch, and the wardrobe. And the witch, who was the picture of Satan in that movie and in that book, um, the, the, the witch quoted the ancient wisdom or the ancient magic to the lion and the lion said don't quote that to me i was there when it was written because the lion was the author of all that you see jesus christ has the authority and had the authority when he was spending his time here on earth to not only quote scripture and speak scripture but to interpret scripture because he was the one that wrote it and he interpreted that scripture and he spoke it and he taught it to the point that the scribes and the Pharisees went back to their bosses and said, never spoke a man like this because he speaks as one that has authority. And so he was the faithful witness. The Bible also tells us in verse 5 here in Revelation chapter 1 that he was the first begotten of the dead. He rose from the dead, and because he rose again, we will all rise again. It is upon his resurrection that the concept of resurrection is made possible. He is the trailblazer in resurrection. His resurrection is the cornerstone for our resurrection. Without his resurrection, there would be no resurrection. He's the first begotten of the dead. 
and he is the prince of the kings of the earth. That means that all earthly governments fall under his authority. That's who Christ is. Let's look at what Christ did. We go back to verse 5 here in Revelation chapter 1. Verse 5 says, toward the end, unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. What Christ did, he loved us. Now, when we say he loved us, this is that agape love that we have spoken about several times on this program, that agape love, that self-sacrificial love, that love that places the needs of the other person above your own. And there's a point to this love, that agape love is a redemptive love. The love is intended to help the other person, to rescue the other person, to redeem the other person. That's the kind of love that Jesus Christ had toward us. The love that Jesus Christ had and has toward us is not contingent on anything that we do, is not contingent on how we can present ourselves, is not contingent on any emotion he may feel toward us. His love toward us is a commitment that he has made toward us to help us, to heal us, to redeem us. And that love motivated him to go to the cross where he paid for our sins. And the the verse in Revelation chapter 1, verse 5 says that. It says, and washed us from our sins in his own blood. His going to the cross was motivated by his love for us. And while he hung there on that cross, he shed his own blood on that cross. He suffered. He He suffered, he died, he gave his own life on that cross to pay for our sins, to meet the need and the requirement for judgment and wrath for our sin. He paid for our sin and he cleansed us from our sin by giving his life on the cross. He cleansed us from our sin, which means we no longer bear the guilt and the shame for our sin. If you know Jesus as Savior. And so that's what Christ did. The Bible goes on in Revelation 1, 6, and hath made us kings and priests unto God and his Father. To him be glory and dominion forever. Amen. The Bible tells us that Christ has made us kings. Now, when you think of being a king, you think of a king, you think of the robe, you think of the crown, you think of the throne, the throne room. You think of people praising the king, long live the king. You think of that dignity. You think of that honor. Christ has given us dignity. Christ has given us honor. And the Bible tells us that one day we will rule with him in his kingdom. The Lord has given us dignity and honor. He has made us kings and he has made us priests. Now, there's something interesting. He has made us priests. Now, what is a priest? You look at the priest in the Bible in the Old Testament, and what did they do? They were there at the temple, and when worshipers would bring their sacrificial lambs, they would help the worshiper bring that lamb into the temple court, and they would help that worshiper with the sacrifice. If the worshiper had a prayer request, the priest would lift that prayer up to the Lord. That was the whole point of the altar of incense. So in helping these worshipers with the sacrifices and lifting these prayers up to the Lord, what were these priests doing? These priests 
were helping the worshipers reconnect with God, either through the sin offerings, the meal offerings, the meat offerings. There were offerings to atone for sin or to there were offerings for sin to seek forgiveness of sin. There were offerings that were designed to restore fellowship with God. There were offerings that were meant as thanksgiving to God. But any of these offerings, any of these sacrifices that were made in the Old Testament, they all carried with the purpose of reconnecting people with God. And it was all a picture of Jesus Christ and his ultimate sacrifice on the cross reconnected us with God. But in the Old Testament worship system in the temple, that priest's job was not to do it for the worshiper, but to help the worshiper do it so the worshiper could be connected with God. And that's what a priest does. A priest is one who connects people with God. And as Christians, that is what the Bible wants us to do. That is what God wants us to do. He wants us connecting people with Christ. And we do that through our personal witness and our personal testimonies. We do that through sharing the word. We do that through ministering to people, praying with them, praying over them, praying for them. We're to be priests. The Bible tells us in 1 Peter that we are a royal priesthood. He's given us dignity, honor, position, authority, and he wants us to use that to connect people with God. Verse 7 says, Behold, he cometh with clouds, and every eye shall see him, and they also which pierced him, and all kindreds of the earth shall well because of him. Even so, amen. Our Lord and Savior will return in the clouds, rapture day, that great getting up morning, the glorious reunion day, the day that we will meet by the river, all of those great gospel hymns that sing and that proclaim this day, that day is coming. Our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ will return in the clouds. He will receive us to himself that day, and that will be our glad reunion day. But the non-believers will also see him, and they will wail. Because while that day is our glad reunion day, that day will be their day of judgment. So that's who Christ is and what he did and what he will do. And then Revelation chapter 1 speaks about the glory of Christ. We look in verses 12 through 13. The Bible says, And I turned to see the voice that spake with me. And being turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks. And in the midst of the seven candlesticks, one likened to the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the foot, and girt about the paps with a golden girdle. Now, as John turns around, the first thing he sees are seven golden candlesticks. And we will learn later on in this passage that that represents the seven churches of Asia. And standing among those candlesticks was Christ. And that is symbolic. It shows that Christ is present among his churches. By the way, here in the year 2018, Christ is still present among his churches. Christ still glories in his church. He still works on behalf of his church. He still empowers his church. He still loves his church. 
there is a teaching out there that says that God is upset with his church and that God has abandoned the church. That is a false teaching. That is That teaching is propagated by those who are serving Satan and those who seek to lift themselves up as they start their own religion and develop their own following. Never believe a teacher that says God has given up on his church. God is unhappy with his church. God is looking for someone to replace his church or somebody to take up the ministry that his church didn't do that they were supposed to do. Never follow a teacher whose primary message in their ministry is God's wrath and condemnation and abandonment of his church. Because when the apostle John turns around and he sees Christ, the first thing he sees are those seven golden candlesticks. Those seven golden candlesticks we learn later on in this passage represent the seven churches of Asia. And Christ is standing there in the midst of them. He is present with his churches and the Lord has never given a message that he has abandoned his church, that he has turned his back on his church. In fact, quite the opposite, in Matthew chapter 28, the Lord says that he will be with his churches until the end of the age, until he returns. So never listen to a teacher that teaches that the church is passe, and we've got to come up with a new way of doing things. Never listen to that. So Christ is standing among the seven candlesticks, among the seven churches. That means he glories in his churches. That means church is important. Being a part of a church is important. Having that fellowship with other believers and with the Lord through the process, that's important. And then in verses 14 through 16 here in Revelation chapter 1, the Bible says his head and his hairs were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were as a flame of fire. And his feet like unto fine brass, as if they burned in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. And he had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword. And his countenance was as the sun shineth in his strength. You see a lot of aspects of the appearance of Jesus here. And look at how glorious he appears. White hair, to me that spells wisdom even in ancient times. Now, today you see a gray-haired gentleman. You think that guy's been around. He's probably got some stories to tell. Back in ancient times, that white hair represented age. And that age was indicative of wisdom. Eyes of fire, that's justice. Feet of brass, that's power and strength. Eternal power and strength. Now, contrast that from the vision that uh, Nebuchadnezzar saw in the book of Daniel. Nebuchadnezzar saw a vision of a man who had a brass head, uh, bronze shoulders, you know, it goes from gold, brass, bronze, silver, all the way down to the feet. And at the feet of this giant metal man that Nebuchadnezzar saw in the book of Daniel, the feet were iron and clay mixed together. Doesn't sound very sturdy, does it? And that a stone comes down from heaven, strikes the feet, and the whole metal man collapses and falls into pieces. Contrast that. See, the the feet of the metal man, which represented the empires of the world, was weak and was easily taken out by the rock, which, by the way, represents Christ. When John sees Christ, he sees feet of brass. That's power and strength, and that's eternal. 
When he spoke, he had the voice of many waters. You ever been to a waterfall? Ever been to Niagara? The, the, the roar of the waterfall, how powerful that sound is. It, it captures up all the sound that is in the air. His tongue, two-edged sword, the word of God. The Bible tells us that the word of God is as a two-edged sword. You think about two-edged swords, you think you can slash both ways when you're in a sword fight. But the real point of a two-edged sword is that it pierces. The word of God pierces us. It pierces our rock-hard hearts. It pierces our conscience. It convicts us of sin. And then his countenance was bright, powerful as the sun. And now we see here the physical glory of Christ, the glory of his appearance. We see what Christ looks at, looks like as our resurrected and glorified Savior. And the Apostle John turns around and he sees him. And notice what John says here in Revelation chapter 1, verse 17. John says, And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. Wow. When John saw Jesus, he fell at his feet as dead. This is John, the Apostle John, the disciple whom Jesus loved, the disciple whom laid his head on Jesus' chest at the Last Supper. John was given the task of taking care of Mary, Jesus' mother, when Jesus died on the cross. This is John. Walked and talked with Jesus three and a half years. You see, the 12 apostles were the inner circle of the disciples of Christ. There were more than 12 disciples, but there were only 12 apostles. They were the inner circle. Among those 12 apostles, you probably can't name all 12, and you won't go to hell for that, um, because I don't think I could name all 12 either. I'm not going to try on this radio program and embarrass myself. But of, of those 12 apostles, there were three that were particularly special to Jesus, Peter, James, and John, who is the one seeing Jesus in our passage. Out of those three that were the closest to Jesus, Peter, James, and John, you can make the case that John was the most special to Jesus. And so this is John, the same John here on the Isle of Patmos in Revelation chapter 1. He hears Jesus, he turns around and sees Jesus, and when he sees Jesus, this glorified Resurrected Jesus that we have just seen described here in Revelation chapter 1, he falls at his feet as dead. We have this idea of Jesus as being this happy, hippie fellow with a self-depreciating sense of humor. That's the image of Jesus that is being propagated by popular culture and even in some cases contemporary Christianity today. This Jesus that accepts everything and requires nothing. This Jesus that is just going to be glad that you made it to the party. But when you look, read the book of Revelation, you see Jesus glorified in power and glory. And when John, the man who was the closest to him when he walked on this earth, when John sees him, he falls at his feet as dead. Now, I don't want to give you the idea that Jesus is this hard judge that's going to take pleasure in condemning people. That's not the case. 
What I do want us to take from this is that Christ is to be revered, not lampooned. That Christ is to be worshipped and glorified, not familiarized. We would do well to recognize the power and the authority of Christ and to revere him accordingly. Now, when John falls at the feet of Jesus is dead, notice what Jesus did in verse 17. And he laid his right hand upon me, saying unto me, Fear not, I am the first and the last. I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. The Lord lifted John up as he will lift us up. And he said, Fear not. If you know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, he will lift you up, and you should have no reason to fear because his resurrection becomes your strength and your hope. Verse 20 tells us the seven stars are the seven angels of the seven churches, and we'll talk about this coming up in the weeks ahead. Those seven angels are not angelic beings, but they're messengers to the churches, which means that they would be the pastors of those churches. And the seven candlesticks are the seven churches, and that'll be relevant as we go forward in the weeks ahead. Christ loves you and is looking forward to welcoming you into his kingdom. Worship him, trust him, look forward to his coming. Life Point Baptist Church meets this morning at 10 a.m. for Sunday school, morning worship at 11, and we meet in the Early Chamber of Commerce Small Business Incubator Facility. May God bless you.